Pastor Adam Lavecki here. This is a sermon live from Rescue Church. We hope it blesses you. I, when Pastor asked me to speak about a month ago, I knew that this was going to be the topic. I had a sense because for the last, I don't know, maybe five, six months, I'd be sitting in the back corner with Ariel and many weeks I would just be weeping. It's like the worship would be powerful, presence of God, and I'm like, I'm weeping in a spirit of repentance. And I'm crying out saying, God, you're worth more than this. You're worth more than what our lives speak of what you're worth. You're worth more than this. And I'd be repenting that a spirit of repentance would fall in our church because repentance is supernatural. You know, it's not just words you speak out of your mouth. It's something that happens in the heart. It's something that breaks open in your spirit. It's supernatural. We need the Holy Spirit to convict so that we are actually changed. And so that's what I'd be doing back there. And I just want to say, I know at some point I am competent. At some point I will weep up here. And I say that not because I really care how I look. Um, I know God break me open like an offering. But I say this for your benefit. Don't get distracted if it happens. Don't try to hand me a tissue. Don't just focus on what the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart. What is Jesus saying to you? Where are the areas that he's bringing up? It might be totally outside of anything that's coming out of my mouth, but the Holy Spirit's going to move and speak to certain areas, and that's where you want to pay attention. Focus on Jesus. Amen. Okay, I'm really glad I got that out of the way. Um, So I love coffee. We have an espresso machine, which you can see, this is the exact model that we have. Um, And I noticed that when we had like a light cup that sat on top of that, because of the vibration and how quickly it vibrates, the cup would slowly start to drift a little if you weren't paying attention. For me, coffee's like liquid gold, like, oh, I love it. Um, And so I noticed, oh shoot, I have to pay attention because if I don't, if I just leave the cup up there, walk, you know, somewhere else, do something else, that cup will not catch all of that liquid gold. It will, you know, splash. And I'll only get a little bit of it and I won't catch the rest. And I really want you guys to see this image of repentance as alignment alignment when we are aligned with the purposes of god with the will the order god there's a divine order what god says is right and good and pleasing and trust me if you line up with this order you will receive everything that i have for you he's not trying to withhold anything from us he doesn't play favorites it's not like Oh, you know, I love Emilio, like, let me just give him everything he needs. Tina, eh, let's, you know, give her the leftovers. Like, he does not play favorites. It's about, are you aligned with the divine order of God? Are you aligned so that you can catch 
everything he wants to give? Or is there some disorder? Are there some places where you're out of alignment? And repentance, the Holy Spirit will bring conviction to those very areas to say, hey, my son, my daughter, I love you. I want to give everything I have for you. Get in alignment so you can receive it. Get in alignment. That's what repentance is about. That's why repentance is not about feeling bad, feeling ashamed, feeling guilty, feeling sorry. Repentance, that stuff is self-centered. It's, I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry for the consequences. I'm sorry that now you're hurt and angry and disappointed at me. That is not repentance. Repentance is when we get into alignment. In scripture, the word that's used in the New Testament for repentance is metanoia. It means change your mind. Change your mind. So repentance is about getting our mind aligned with the mind of Christ. It's as though Jesus is saying, and and when he first walked this earth, that was his first word. First of all, John the Baptist's first word, what was it? It was a baptism of repentance that he preached. And then Jesus enters the scene because John's preparing the way. Enter Jesus. The first sermon he preaches, the first words that he speaks, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So what he's saying is, you need to change your mind. There's a certain way you've been living There's a certain way you've had expectations of who God is, of of how he's going to come. You need to change your mind so that you can enter into the kingdom of God, so that all that the kingdom of God has available for you, you can receive it. You will be limited by what you receive from the kingdom of God based on what's going on in your mind. So for some of you, you might think repentance is about these outward sins, like these things that are very obvious, you know, like pornography, lust, murder. We know those things are sin, right? But what about the thoughts you entertain in your mind? What about when you keep rehearsing uh, fears? When you keep rehearsing lies that don't sound like the voice of God? Other people have told you that's not the voice of God and you keep rehearsing it over your head, you keep finding some sort of comfort in going back to those places, that's the area that you need to change your mind. That's the area that you need to ask Holy Spirit, God, give me a true breakthrough in a spirit of repentance in the area of this place. So later at the end, we're gonna give some time for God to to speak, but yeah, just be mindful. What are, are your thoughts lining up with the voice of the Father? And if you have trouble even identifying that, you know, ask somebody you trust. Ask a pastor, ask Pastor Adam, Pastor Sarah, ask one of the deacons, and listen when they say something because they're there to help you. They're there to try to get you free as you step into alignment. Repentance is about seeing sin as injury towards God, period. 
You know, I, uh, like long time ago when I first heard Psalm 51, um, it's David's psalm of repentance when it's after Bathsheba happened, Uriah happened, and he says this in verse 7, Against you, God, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And, you know, it's like very obvious he sinned against Uriah. Very obvious he sinned against Bathsheba. But the place of brokenness in his heart is, God, I've sinned against you and you alone. You're the only one I've sinned against. Because I've done what is evil in your sight. I have neglected your ways, your thoughts, I have lost the fear of God. I have, I have thought, no one's going to see this. No one's going to know. With those thoughts, you've lost the fear of God. You've lost the sense that God, you'll stand before him. He sees all things. He knows all things. And he loves. He loves. He's for you. He's for us. He lost the fear of God. And that's why he says this. God against you and you alone. When we injure one another, when there's envy, when there's pride, we have to see it as sin against God. That we fail to see him, we fail to see his image in one another. Repentance is also about repenting at the root of things. So not at the behavior level, um, if, you re if you confess at the behavior level, you will go in cycles. You'll just say the same things over and over again. There's going to be no relief. There's just going to be more shame and hopelessness because you're like, how many times do I have to confess this? How many times do I have to go through this circle? And it's because you're not getting to the root. You're not getting to the root of things. Why do you do that behavior? Why did that person upset you so much? Why did those words pierce so deeply? I think of it like a splinter. You know, if you have a splinter, those things are so annoying. They're like so small and they, they hurt so much and you get very touchy and sensitive right around that area. And it's an indication, okay, there's a splinter there. Remove the splinter and you'll be fine. You won't be touchy. You won't, you know, you won't try to avoid having people touch that area. When we get to the root of things, when we repent at the root, it's like removing that splinter. It's like saying, God, there's something there that I keep getting touchy about. It's because there's a splinter there. Remove it, Lord. <laughs> Heal it at the root. Because the roots are why we cycle. And they might be completely different from what our behavior looks like, what, what our addictions are. It might be something totally different. It might be a rejection. It might be a hurt. It might be a wound. And that's what God brings up. So go for the roots. Don't allow the enemy to bring you in cycles of shame over behavior. Ask God, have the courage to go after the roots. Pride is the enemy of true repentance. That is always the case. You don't want to look at yourself. You don't want to see the places of brokenness. And so you'd rather pretend like you're okay. It was just that one time. 
let's move on. And actually God was using that as an opportunity to show you that there's a splinter. So have the courage to linger with him and ask him, okay, God, you're doing something deeper. Take me there. Real repentance begins when we stop making excuses. There is no healing where there's pretending. When we say we're okay, we're fine, there is no healing in pretense. Last year, there was an apostle that came through, Mike Brown. I remember him saying, the blood of Jesus doesn't wash over excuses. It doesn't wash away excuses. And it's true. We have to have the courage to actually, to not make excuses, not blame, not say, you know, it's because of my parents that I'm this way. It's because this person cursed at me that that came out. Those are all excuses. We want to take ownership of our behavior and see that our behavior is an indication of something deeper. Go for the roots. Go for the roots. So um, some effects of true repentance before we look at the book of Hosea. Um, repentance breaks up the, hearted, the hardness in your heart. So Hosea 10.12, it says, Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and rains righteousness on you. Fallow ground, that's that hard ground, that top layer where um, the seed won't be able to penetrate if you just leave that ground like that. So when it says break up that fallow ground, and repentance is how we do that, it causes our hearts to get tender. It causes our hearts to get soft before God so that when he calls us out on something or he says, hey, do this, do that, we're quick to obey. That's a soft heart, fallow ground that's been broken up because that means the seed of God's word can get planted in that ground that's been broken up and it will produce fruit. There will be no fruit where the ground is not broken because the seed of his word will not penetrate where there's hardness. When we break up that fallow ground, when we say, God, search me, know me, you get tender before God. You don't get defensive. When other people call you out on stuff, you don't get defensive. You know why? Because God's been calling you out on stuff in the secret place, and you haven't been defensive, and you've owned it, and you say, you're right, Lord. Okay, what do we do about that? Break up that fallow ground so that his word can penetrate and produce the fruit that he wants to give you. He has all of it available for us. He is not holding back. So break it up so that it will have effect in our lives. Repentance will allow you to hear God's voice. In Hosea 5.6, it says, They shall go to seek the Lord, and he's talking about Israel and their unfaithfulness and how they haven't sought the Lord. They shall go to seek the Lord, but they will not find him. He has withdrawn himself from them. And the context is he's withdrawn himself from them due to their iniquity. 
bear over and over and over again iniquity. See, when that happens and we harden our hearts to the voice of God when he's bringing conviction, then we can no longer hear God's voice because we've shut him out for so long. Like He's trying to put his finger on something and you're like, I don't want to hear that right now. La, 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 la. He's going to stop speaking. Okay, all right. You want to go your way? You go ahead. I'll wait over here. You go ahead. You do that. When we harden our hearts and we don't listen to the voice of God, there will be a block in our hearing God's voice. So what can we do when, when we say, you know what, I, I, I don't know how to hear God's voice. All right, let's start with, is there any sin, God? Is there any area in my life that, you know what, you're saying, I'm grieved over that. Deal with that, my son. All right, then let's talk. So think about, yeah, if, if, there's, if it's been difficult to hear God's voice in this season. I'm not saying that's always the case, but search your heart. Ask God, God, is there a place? Is there a place where you want me to make this right between a brother or a sister? You want me to make this area of my life right? And then you want everything else to flow, your voice to flow afterwards. Repentance will allow you to access the kingdom of God. Remember, Jesus' first message, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So that means our ability to access the righteousness, the peace, the joy, and the Holy Spirit that Romans 10 speaks about. It's dependent on, okay, are we getting in line with God's thoughts? Because again, he wants to give you everything. I mean, look at, look at, it, look at how he lived, how he walked this earth. He gave us everything, literally at the cost of his own body, flesh and blood. Why would he now that he's seated up in heaven be withholding from us? No, he wants to give you everything, access into the heavenly realms. All that he has available, he wants to make available for us. But it's about order. It's about alignment to receive all of that goodness. Repentance, it says in Acts 3.19, brings times of refreshing. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So these are all the effects of true repentance. And I want us to hold that in the back of our head as we look at Hosea. Because Hosea, I'm sure many of you guys are familiar with the story of Hosea. But um, the overview is that Hosea is told to marry a prostitute and to have children with her. And she will end up leaving him and chasing after other men. And he is told to go back to her. I mean, can you imagine this being your wife? You being told by God himself, go marry this woman. She's going to cheat on you. She's going to make you look like a... You can insert, insert your own word because everybody knows and everybody sees that this is the person you've taken as your wife and this is how she's treating you. And you're supposed to go back like you're crawling on your knees and pay for her back in front of all to see. 
Can you imagine doing that? This is Hosea. And it's like God saying, you've become so blind and so deaf to my heart and my faithfulness and your injury to me that you need to see a human form, a parable in human form in order to see the depth of my covenant commitment to you and the depth of your injury to me. The Hebrew word that dominates the language of repentance in Hosea, actually all throughout the Old Testament, is this word shub. And it means to turn away, to turn back, to return. So in the New Testament, it's change your mind. In the Old Testament, it's return, return, turn to me, turn to me, and I will deliver you. That's the constant message with Shub. Return, and I'll, I'll deliver you. Um, and, and maybe this week, one verse, uh, one psalm you guys could look at is Psalm 107. That psalm just struck me so deeply because it's these repeated stanzas of they were in rebellion, they were in iniquity, and then they cried out to the Lord and he delivered them. You know, these people, they were going their own way. They were living in the wilderness, doing whatever they wanted. And then they cried out to the Lord and he delivered them. Shub is about turning away from the ways we were walking in, from our rebellion, from our hard-heartedness, from our sins, turning away and crying out to the Lord and saying, deliver me, God, only you can do this. Shub is one of the most frequently used verbs in the Old Testament. It's like, how many times does God have to say, return? I'm faithful to you. I'll be faithful. I'll take you back. Only return. Only cry out to me. I'm the true source of your deliverance. And over again, Israel cycles. These are the themes in Hosea. God's loving, covenantal commitment to Israel. Israel's unfaithfulness. God's discipline. He will discipline us in love. Hebrews talks about this, how he disciplines those he calls sons. So if you're experiencing some discipline, be encouraged because he's treating you like a legitimate son. You know, when we do children's church, it's like you can't discipline all those kids because they're not your children. You can't discipline them the way their parents would if they're acting up. You can, you know, you can say certain things, but you can't, you can't punish, you can't, you can't discipline them. They're not, you know, we're volunteers. They're not our children. Only the mother, the father, can bring true discipline to your own children. So if God's disciplining you, be encouraged. It's because he sees potential. He sees what's inside of you. Hey, there's more there. There's better there. I'm calling you higher. Don't live beneath what I've made you to be. Other themes, repentance brings blessing. Again, right, that image, alignment, blessing. He wants to pour it all out. Get in alignment. And God's promise of restoration, that's throughout Hosea. And the, these themes, 
That's all throughout the Old Testament. And then look to Jesus. He fulfills all of this. So even today, these themes are true for us. These themes are true for us. And we want to learn from all the wisdom that we have in the Word of God. We want to learn. We want to do it differently. I wanted to go over some complaints that God um, says in Hosea towards the Israelites. And these complaints will give us insight into our own need for repentance. So I'm going to go over some of these quickly. Um, and I've put the verses there. So if you want to you know, open your Bibles to Hosea, um, please feel free. So Hosea 2, verse 5, God complains saying, you go after other lovers and then you credit them as your source of supply. Israel did not know that it was I that multiplied her silver and gold. You know, they thought it was the work of their own hands. Verse 2, 8. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. Instead, there's swearing, lying, stealing, adultery. There's no restraint. That's verse, chapter 4, verse 1. Chapter 5, verse 4. They do not know the Lord. Wow, after all those years everything God's done, all the history they had of God's faithfulness to Israel. And he says, you don't know me. How could you not know me by now? Chapter 6, verse 4, it says, your faithfulness is fickle. It's like the early dew that's there in the morning and then disappears. It's like the faithfulness of a Sunday Christian. What does the rest of our weeks look like? Your faithfulness is fickle. They do not consider in their hearts that I remember all their wickedness. Again, this is what happened to David in Psalm 51, 7. They are all adulterers. None among them calls upon me. So if he's saying all... All means all. That includes us. Um, that includes, yeah, every person. He's saying we all go to other things, other people for comfort, for um, pleasure, to make us feel better about ourselves when we feel rejected, when we feel hurt. Who do you go to? What do you go to? Do you numb yourself? Do you look for affirmation in other people or in the work of your hands? That's all the seed form of adultery. You trust it in your own way. Um, in, I, I noticed this when I was reading the Proverbs. In Proverbs 14.12 and 16.25, it's the same exact proverb. There's a way that seems right to, to a man, but in the end, its way is death. And he repeats it again. 14, 12, 16, 25. Okay, did you hear me? Let me repeat this again. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, its path leads to death. So we have to be aware that our, our capacity 
for um, thinking that our way is right when actually it can lead us to destruction. Actually, we're not seeing the full picture. We're not seeing clearly. Our capacity for that is high. It's good if we acknowledge that. They did not know that I healed them. You know, when our soul is out of alignment with God, He shines His light. That's His goodness. He'll shine His light on that area because there's no darkness in Jesus. There's no shadow side to Him. So He'll shine His light to to draw us in kindness. And it's exposing places that would break our union with God and our union with one another because He's really after unity. In that place, acknowledging that it's God that heals. It's God that makes right when he shines his light. That will bring the times of refreshing for us. In verse 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 5, it says, they refuse to repent. So when he shines that light, own it. That's the best thing we can do is to own it. That will keep our hearts soft. 11 verse 7, it says, Though they call to the Most High, none at all exalt Him. We're really good at calling out to God for relief. When we're in pain, when we have financial issues, health issues, um, marital issues, relationship issues, job issues. We're really good at calling out to God for relief from pain. But are we calling out to God as a Lord, a King? Are we relating to Jesus as King? Where he says something, okay, yeah, you're complaining to me about your boss, but actually, I'm trying to show you something in you. How do you react to that? That will show whether you're relating to him as a King, as a Lord, or you're just looking to him for relief. So all of these complaints, like, wow, 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 there's so many complaints God has. What is his response? What is his, therefore, I'm going to do this. You know, I don't know what you would do, but I would not have thought of this. The fact that this is God's response is evidence of his goodness and his kindness to us. In Romans 2, where it says, His goodness draws us to repentance. This is part of that. He says, therefore, this is chapter 2, verse 14 to 16. Therefore, behold, out of all the complaints, all the things that you've done wrong to me, this is what I will do. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. I will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. I will give her her vineyards from there and the valley of Achor, which means trouble, as a door of hope. She shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband and no longer call me my master. The fact that he allures us into a wilderness. Some of you are in a wilderness season right now. 
and what you're sensing and feeling and receiving is death. There's areas of death God's addressing. He's saying, my daughter, my son, I'm disciplining you in this area, and it feels like a wilderness. If that's you, if you are in a wilderness, oh my gosh, be encouraged. It's very critical what happens in the wilderness. Fruit is not born on mountaintops. Fruit is born in valleys. Fruit is born deep in dark places. Not on the mountaintops. On the mountaintops, you get vision. You get um, a picture of what God's doing. You get some hope up there. Character is built in the valleys, in the wilderness. Battles are won in the valleys and the wilderness. David beats Goliath in a valley. Actually, if you look throughout scripture, so many battles happen in valleys. Jesus, his first, before he does any ministry, he wins battles in the wilderness that allow ministry in public for him to win battles there. It happened in the wilderness when Satan tried to tempt him. It's very critical what happens in the wilderness. It's very critical how you respond to God in the wilderness because he's alluring you. And in that place, he's removing other voices. He's removing other places where you draw identity from. And he's saying, just me and you. And you're learning how to hear his voice more clearly because there's no other voice in the wilderness. It's just you and him. So be encouraged in that place and don't take shortcuts to try to get out of the wilderness faster because that's going to affect what happens in public later. So make sure what he's doing is thorough. That door of hope that's in uh, verse 14, that door of hope is found in the wilderness. There's a door of hope that God gives you in the wilderness. It's a hope that's not found in the counsel of friends or in financial prosperity. It's hope that's found in the wilderness. And that hope is something that can't be removed from you. Therefore, in the wilderness, if you're experiencing that, the call is return, return. Returning is about a full, a willing surrender to King Jesus. A full, willing surrender. Many years ago, uh, some of you guys know I work with Abner. Um, he's a friend of this house, abnersuarez.com. Um, and many years ago, Abner had a conversation with a, um, an apostolic leader in South America. And this man, the apostolic leader, he was seeing massive, for many years, massive healings, deliverances, salvation, growth, like crazy for so many years. And Abner asked him, you know, why do you think that, you know, in America, we don't quite see the same sort of mass uh, movement that's taking place here? 
And that man like didn't even skip a beat, didn't you know pause at all. He's like, oh, that's that's simple. You know, for you guys in the West, the Western Church, week after week after week, you're trying to convince the people to do the very foundational, very basic foundational aspect of your relationship with God, and that's surrender everything. We here know. People here know to even enter into the kingdom, you surrender everything. That's the reason. Returning is about a full, willing surrender to King Jesus, not homeboy Jesus, King Jesus. There's only one King. Chapter 12, verse 6, it says, So you, by the help of your God, thank God he helps us. Return, observe mercy and justice, and wait on your God continually. Some of us, yeah, we're in the wilderness. Yeah, okay, I see the benefits, but we don't know how to keep waiting. Wait on your God continually, because what he has for you is very much related to your destiny. That door of hope that he gives you in the wilderness is related to your destiny. Wait on your God continually. O Israel, return to the Lord, chapter 14, verse 1. Return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Some of you, the things you're going through, you're doing it to yourself. You're doing it to yourself. Return to the Lord. Return to the Lord. That's what he says over and over again. In Hosea, I think it's like 22 times he says, return, return. And it's only, it's like a short book. So that's his main message. Return to the Lord. Cry out to me. The final words in Hosea are from chapter 14, verse 9. And it says, who is wise? Let him understand these things. Who is prudent? Let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. Walk in the ways of the Lord. Know his ways. This is his basic final message. Know his ways and walk in them. And you will receive abundance of life. Favor, blessing, all of that comes from walking in his ways, being ordered with his ways. Speaking of final words, I think final words, last words are so powerful. Um, My husband and I, DK, we were at a Colin Quinn show. He's a comedian. And he did a little bit in his show about what his final words would be. And I won't repeat them because they're not that edifying. Um, But it just sparked a conversation around, oh, what would your final words be, you know, before your last moments here? From this side, passing over to the next side, what would your last words be? And that made DK share with me something he had read in a book um, about Reese Howells. And he's an intercessor, and I love this book. But um, it so moved me because he wrote what his last, the, the man that wrote about Reese Howells shared 
what Reese Howells' last words were. And he, for you know, a long period of time, was in a lot of suffering, physical suffering. But the guy that wrote this book, he said, you never would have known based on what was coming out of it. He never talked about his pain. He never talked about his suffering. And in his last moments, these were his words. He says, it is the Lord. It is the Lord. I am in the center of God's will. Everything is gained. Everything is gained. It is the Lord. Those were his last words. Apostle Paul, to the Ephesian elders, whom he dearly loved, he spent many years with them, investing in them. And in Acts 20, he knows these are his last words to the Ephesian elders, people he's poured his life into. And turn to Acts 20. These are Paul's last words to the Ephesian elders. He says, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, and how I kept nothing that was helpful but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. He's telling the Ephesian elders, remember what I did, how I went town to town, house to house, and this is what I testified about. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. There's an order here. Repentance brings faith. Why? Because as things are removed, as we repent, we see God more clearly. We see Jesus more clearly. To see Jesus clearly is to have faith. You know, one day we're going to see him face to face. Right now, Paul says we see dimly through a glass, but one day we're going to know fully, even as we're fully known. Which means to see him fully is to know him fully. It's to have fullness of faith. So repentance removes those blocks that keep us from seeing Jesus clearly as he truly is, what he's really like. And God is after a faith-filled people in this hour, a faith-filled body. That's what the world needs. Hebrews 11.6, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. There is favor, there is blessing in getting life in order. He rewards those who diligently seek him. It's like he's saying, 
my daughter's putting me first. My, my son, you're getting your life in order. Now I can trust you with even more. I can trust that this is not going to destroy you, that you're not going to do something foolish with what I give you. He can trust you with more. He's a rewarder. The only two times in scripture that it says Jesus was amazed at a human. Jesus marveled at a human. Can you imagine God himself, the creator of all of us, he marveled at something a human did. He was amazed at something a man did. There's only two times in scripture. First is from Luke 7. It's the centurion. It's not even a Jew. The centurion doesn't even see Jesus face to face. He just hears about him. Faith comes by hearing. He hears about him. And he says, he sends his servants to Jesus and say, and says to Jesus, Jesus, I don't even deserve for you to come into my roof. Just speak the word and my servant will be healed. And he believed that that would happen. And Jesus marvels at this man's faith. Wow, I have not seen such great faith in all of Israel. This is how much faith moves him and how much it matters to remove the blocks that are keeping us from faith. The second time Jesus is amazed is at unbelief. Okay, the first time was faith. The second time he's amazed because he goes to his hometown and people he grew up with that knew, that knew him from a young age. And they're even saying, whoa, what is this wisdom coming out of him? Whoa, what are these mighty works he's doing by his hands? And they got offended at him. Who are you to do that? We know you. And they got offended at Jesus. And Jesus marvels at their unbelief. Wow. Wow. And he could do very little healing in that town, in his hometown. Offense. I mean, isn't that crazy? It's like the things coming out of their mouth is, whoa, look at that wisdom. Whoa, look at the mighty works coming out of his hands. And they're offended. And they can't receive it. Offense will make you think and say some really foolish things. God will point his finger on places of offense because they're keeping us from receiving all that Jesus has. I don't know about you, but I'd rather, much rather, be somebody that Jesus is amazed at by faith. I don't want him to be amazed because I have so much unbelief. In John 6, 28, it says, you know, the disciples are asking Jesus, what shall we do that that we may work the works of God? What, What can we do to work the works of God? And Jesus' answer is, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. So Apostle Paul's final words have to do with repentance and faith. These are the two 
huge areas of our lives. So what we need to do um, is to get in alignment. This is not just a Sunday thing. This is an everyday thing. And this isn't a thing that should feel heavy and terrible about yourself sort of process. Times of refreshing are coming as we get in alignment. The blessing of the Lord is coming as you get in alignment. The favor of God as, you, as your life is in order. There, what is heavy about any of that? By repentance and faith, repentance and faith, repentance and faith, over and over and over again, that is how we live in alignment with the mind of God, the heart of God. Put God first. What does this look like? There is no way around this. You have to carve out time with Jesus. You have to. If you give him the margins of your time, if it's like, when I have time, I'll do it, then that's how much he has room to speak into your life, the very voice of life. That's how much room you're giving for life to enter into your life. So you need to make more margins. And then when Jesus tells you what to do, what to say, do it. Obedience unlocks blessing. Obedience unlocks blessing. You know, the greatest commandment, which you've heard so many times, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. That commandment, and love your neighbor as yourself, the second one is like it. That commandment is not about do you love God or do you not love God? That commandment is about intensity. All your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. Love him with all that you are. Hearts and lives in order. Um, one practical thing, I like to pray the Psalm 139 verse, um, Psalm 139 verse 22, 23 to 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You just make yourself available and say, God, check my heart. Is there anything in there? Is there any anxiety? Is there any fear? If so, point it out and remove the splinter. And just make that a regular prayer and see how much God transforms your heart through that. Um, lastly, I want us to remember that we will stand before Jesus and give an account. That's not a fear tactic, that is true, that is reality. Um, a few weeks ago, I was driving in, you know, in our car by myself, and um, I put the blinkers on. I switched lanes, and to this day, I don't, I don't know. I don't. Did I cut her off? I don't know what happened, but um, I know I put my blinkers on. I switched lanes, and there was this car next to me that all of a sudden it's like. 
it was full of rage from this car and sped up like tried to cut into my lane so that I'd crash into her multiple times and um, you know I actually could see her face because we were so close it was her and uh, another woman and I saw it's like I saw rage I saw violence in that car and um, I didn't even think <laughs> I just, I'm driving like with one hand. <laughs> I don't know what came over me. The Holy Spirit came over me. And I literally put my hand up as I'm driving. I'm like, and I started speaking in tongues. It just like flowed out of me. And it's like I was saying no in the spirit. No to the enemy. No to rage. No to violence. No to vengeance. And I prayed blessing over them. Jesus, bless them with peace. There is no Jesus in their hearts. And I was so struck by God. If they died today, if I was some crazy person and I had a shotgun and I shot them and they died today, they'd be in hell. And I knew that in the core of my being, those two would be in hell. And I was pleading for their souls. Jesus, deliver them from the enemy. Because we do not wage war against flesh and blood. There is no person that is your enemy. We are on one team and we have one enemy. And we have to be alert to that reality. I'm saying deliver them God save their souls have mercy on them and um, I sensed God saying back to me as they you know they drew they drove away they got off an exit and I sensed Jesus saying Tina you know, I allowed this to happen. I sent them your way because I just needed somebody to pray for their souls. And I knew you would. Jesus, King Jesus, who gave up everything, his own body, endured rejection, suffering, every pain imaginable, his face disfigured, we couldn't even recognize him. This Jesus, even now as he's exalted above all, he ever lives to intercede for us, to intercede for you. Why would we not trust him? Why would we not surrender everything to him, to a God like this? Why would we not give him everything? I want us to spend some time just before the Lord in prayer. Ask God, search my heart, Jesus. Search my heart. You know me. 
You know where the splinters are. You know the places that are robbing me from life in its fullness. Search my heart. Thank you, Jesus, that you ever live to intercede for us. That no matter what we're going through, you're interceding. You have great hope for your people, for your church, for your bride. You want through great lengths to buy us back, to purchase us. And Father, we just commit, we commit to surrender. And Lord, now we're just gonna give you some time. Um, yeah, would you, would you share with us, God, an area that you want some order it's out of order there's some disorder and you're saying i can make that right i can make that right so i'm just gonna be silent for a minute just to allow god room to speak Father, we thank you that, yeah, this is a short time to reflect, but we can keep doing it today, tomorrow. God, we commit to surrendering to you. We commit to putting you first. We commit to not choosing shame and hiding, but we commit to seeing uh, splinters as areas that you're wanting to heal. We commit to sharing with one another, confessing, so that we can find life and freedom. Jesus, we want our lives to honor you, to bring a testimony of who you are, of your nature. We want to see your kingdom come. We want to see the kingdom of this world become the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Start with us, God. Start with us. Start with our hearts. So that when we walk out, when we interact with others, when we go to work, God, when we're squeezed, Jesus, you come out. You come out because you've healed us. You come out when we're squeezed, when we're poked and prodded. Thank you that you're making a testimony out of us. Thank you that there's hope in the wilderness. God, we love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you guys so much for being here. Um, and yeah, for more information on everything that was shared, please follow us on social and on our website. Thanks for listening to the Rescue Church podcast. We would love to see you in person. For more information, 
visit rescuechurch.tv slash invite.